Hello, Jerry. Um, nice to have you here with me today. Uh, this is a very exciting day because we have just launched our 10th anniversary film festival program launch today, haven't we? We have. Um, I'm shattered. I'd say I'm so. Ab- absolutely wrecked. Um, <laughs> well, it's out there now. It's out there in the atmosphere and yeah. everything has to happen now that you've put out. It's not, know, it's not that's, just ideas anymore. Or That's like... I don't, I'm not sure if I'm relieved or like more stressed by the fact that I've sort of like visually committed to doing events now. <laughs> mm. You're not going to be able to relax until the last day. Yeah. Or the day Come after. here to tell you, see this last week, right? We have been, so we've been working on our festival brochure for like a month. Obviously all the programming stuff has been going on for months and months in the background. Mm. We built a, a trailer um, that's up on YouTube. We did all the sort of background stuff and sent newsletters out and emailed our members and all that kind of stuff. And then and then on top of it all, we decided, sure, we'll just build a new website to present it all on as well. As you <laughs> like, do. As you do. Brand spanking What are we new. thinking? Oh, yeah, but it's but it's somehow all done. Like it wasn't done until half past midnight, I think. Um this morning so today, today is program launch day so we're recording this a wee bit in advance well, um, but like it looks amazing you know. it really really does and Good. listeners if you haven't checked it out yet definitely go and have a look go and see what you want to go and see what events you want to go to check it like it's just brilliant there's so much in it this year like we're really making up for lost time with with this year's festival aren't we that's it that's it and i think we had to in a way like it was an onus on us to cover the two years worth of Irish films that we haven't been able to see in the cinema. So we've got a bigger than ever film program, a greatly expanded industry program, which is now its own kind of strand of the festival. Um, we still got the award ceremony. We still got all our normal socials and drinks events and stuff and our family film. Um, so I think we've got nine feature films. 19 short films, 10 industry events, our family screening, our award ceremony, and five days worth of, you know, opportunities to come and hang out with people who love Irish film. Wow, amazing. And all I will say as well is that I started volunteering for Irish Film London years ago when I moved over to London. I was feeling a bit lost and mm. kind of missed home and was kind of looking for a bit of a community. And now you're stuck with me. So, I mean, if that, is, <laughs> if that isn't the best outcome, I don't know what is. I got to meet so many amazing people. And obviously I saw some incredible films and got to see some great Q&As and everything. So it's definitely, definitely worth popping down to either a film, shorts or uh, some of the industry events as well. And you don't even necessarily, to be honest, like the events are just so interesting in themselves. Like even if you just have an interest in acting or directing or writing or anything like that definitely do think about coming along yeah that's it exactly and look that's the probably the best review we could get from yourself you know (laughs) you're welcome you're welcome not biased at all um so our (laughs) opening gala which film is our opening gala and which is the closing gala okay so opening gala wednesday 17th of november at riverside studios is arakt 
which it which is has just opened in Ireland to a really strong, healthy um, box office release. An Irish language film uh, featuring Donal O'Healy in the lead role. Previously, Ireland's selection for the best um, foreign language film at the Oscars. Um, and directed by a debut feature director, Tom Sullivan. Um, that's a brilliant film. Um, if you're listening to this podcast in Ireland, you may have already seen it in Ireland on its opening weekend. Um, hearing really great things from people who've gone to see that. Um, I've loved that film since I've seen it uh, earlier this year. It's it's a beautiful film. It's very highly cinematic um, and it deals with its famine era uh, it's famine era uh, content in uh, a kind of a refreshing way that doesn't focus on the on the usual the usual way to, to talk about that that period mm. of Irish history. Yeah, absolutely. And then our closing gala. Closing gala is a film called Deadly Cuts, which you might have heard about. Mm-hmm. Um, we we saw Deadly Cuts at the Dublin International Film Festival earlier this year. Loved it. Really wanted it to be our closing gala all year. Um, spoke to the filmmakers about including it for months and months and months. And we were kind of excited to see that it got picked up for distribution in the meantime and that it got a, a big release, um, sort of post-pandemic release when cinemas reopened in Ireland last month. Um, we didn't know before we programmed it for our festival that it would be the highest grossing Irish, Irish film at the box office um, is that the right way to say that? Highest yeah. grossing box office in Ireland this year. Um, so we didn't know that before we booked it for, for London audiences to see. So that's really exciting. That's really cool to have. And um, listeners, if you haven't yet, do go and check out the Deadly Cuts podcast. It was a lot of fun. I have all the ladies on, which is <laughs> brilliant. And there's some really fun, funny stories in there. It is so really definitely good. go and listen to that if you haven't. So we have our opening gala, our closed gala. We can't go through the whole thing because we'd be here for ages. No. But we do have a um, children's screening as well. What did we pick something quite special for that? Yes. So in the absence of like a really kind of big... Irish film release for kids this year um, we looked back in time a little bit and wanted to do something special so we actually chose something from that I remember from my childhood um, so we chose a film by Mike Newell called Into the West which a lot of people will remember it features Gabriel Byrne and Colin Meaney um, and it's a story about um, two boys called uh, Tito and Ossie who live in flats and um, their grandfather, who's the storyteller, tells them about this ancient land called Tiernanog. Um, and then a horse comes to comes to see them um, called Tiernanog, and the the boys get sort of caught up in the fantasy of it all. They're also really into Wild West films. Um, and when there's a bit of drama at the flats, um, the boys take off on Tiernanog the horse, and they decide to go riding way out west and just try and find. Uh, this promised land um mm. and of course their their parents and everyone try to come and, and rescue them um it's a beautiful film that mixes irish folklore and mythology with like this wild west um, sort of hollywood imagery um and it's loads of fun our normal like um children's workshop activity around that as well um with a brilliant organization called cabotar arts 
and um, that's all taking place at the Irish Cultural Centre. So if you want the family film experience, come down to the ICC on that's on Sunday, the 21st of November. Amazing. And then on top of that, on top of all of our fab shorts and other features that we have, we have some great industry events to name, but a few. Mm-hmm. We have um, Funding Your Film. We have Irish yep. Storytelling Today, mm-hmm. uh, Find a Producer. And then we have Directing Your Debut Feature and then yeah. also Directing Actors as well. And that's only some of them. So yeah. just so, so jam-packed there full of loads of events and such a, such a brilliant opportunity as well to network. Like if you're a creative, if you're a creative in London and you want to meet like people like you, like Irish, English, it doesn't matter where, but like just yeah. to be in one space to all have that common ground. This is definitely the place. To That's be. it. Every one of those sessions is an opportunity to meet new people, network, swap business cards if you still use business cards um, and all the rest. And to come and yeah, to come and hear from experts who you know, we might be talking about some topics which are specific to the Irish film industry or the Irish filmmaking experience or whatever like the, the experience of being an, a, an Irish person who makes films but this these industry sessions are designed to benefit everybody so come on down and and join us for them um they're very affordable sessions um and yeah you know being there is is more than just more than just popping your head in it's exactly. it should be it should be a very nice experience for everyone um, Definitely. One of those and... things that I really want to that I really want to highlight actually is is the last session in it, which is a session about working with archive, um, and it's a special one because it involves the it's gonna it involves us working with uh, an organisation called Make Film History, which we've done a, we've done sessions with before this year, um, but we've teamed up with them and Belfast Film Festival to do a joint event this year, um, at Belfast Film Festival in a couple of weeks' time. The results of a call, an open call out that we're, we've done with Make Film History will be revealed. So we, we've done a call out with them for non-commercial responses to, um, to the Make Film History archive. And we're going to select some filmmakers who put in a call for that to have access to the archives and to, re- to rework some of the archives to make a new film. And the results of that work are going to be shown at this special event. So it's it's a talk about how we can creatively use archive, but it's also a place where we're going to be showing of a film that's just been made for the festival. So I'm I'm quite Brilliant. excited about that too. That sounds so great. Oh, so great. There's so much stuff. But overall, we have um tell everyone all of our different venues so everyone kind of knows okay. where to look. Right. So this is one thing that we we do need to like let people know about because in previous years it's all been in one place and it's not in one place now. So main festival hub is Riverside Studios in Hammersmith. Um, right next to Riverside Studios, just up the road, is a place called the Irish Cultural Centre, which is on Blacks Road in Hammersmith. Both of them are within about five minutes walk of, of each other and of Hammersmith um tube station. So really easy to find. Um Saturday, our screenings are all at Bertha Dock House, and that's in Bloomsbury. It's actually nestled inside the Curzon Bloomsbury, so you can get to that really easily from Russell Square or from Euston or St Michael's or whatever. Um, so that's a central London venue. In East London, there's a beautiful cinema called uh, The Genesis in Mile End, and there's, there's things happening over there as well. Um, if you're a festival member, 
uh, if you're a festival friend or festival champion, there's um, an award ceremony that takes place on Friday evening. That's at the Irish Embassy in Victoria. Um, and not necessarily a venue, so to speak, but there is an online program that's taking place. Um, you can access that via the festival website. That's irishfilmfestivallondon.com. Click on online program and it'll bring you through to the, uh, to the festival online hub, I guess. I don't really know what to call that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and there's loads, loads of extra stuff happening on there, including online exclusives. Brilliant. That was the next thing I was going to ask was that we have some stuff online as well. So, I mean, yes. jam-packed. I think we've tried to cover as much as we can before, yes. um, before this next interview. So this next interview is with Irish director Dara Kerry, who shot his debut feature film in London. So quite fitting for an Irish Film London podcast today. Indeed. This is a Brixton tale. Enjoy. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks, Steve. Hello, Dara, and welcome to the Irish Film London podcast. It is a pleasure to have you on today. First of all, I just wanted to say congratulations on a really great film. Uh, it's also your debut uh, feature film, which is amazing. It held me the whole way through, and I was so taken aback by some of the amazing performances. So before we get into the nitty and gritty of it, um, just a brief, uh, a quick kind of brief for the listeners. So um, A Brixton Tale is about a wealthy YouTuber, Leah, who chooses shy youth Benji as her subject of her Brixton documentary. They fall for each other, but the desire for edgy footage leads them down a violent path. So just before we get into it, um, let's go back a little bit. So you co-directed this film. Um, how did that kind of collaboration come about? Well, it all started when we were in um, film school together. So myself, uh, Rupert, the writer and producer, and uh, Bertrand, my co-director, we all met in um, in London Film School and uh, we made a number of, we, we all, you know, we were good pals and we were trying to uh, shoot more and do a little bit less of the academic side of it and get used to um, making films instead of just writing screenplays that go nowhere. So we really wanted to... Um, yeah, just make some make some films. So we made a bunch of shorts. They were the worst shorts you ever will see, uh, or hopefully never will see, because we've we're trying to make sure that they're destroyed, so no one will ever be able to see them. But you you know you 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 learn everything on your feet and and when you're doing it. So it's got to You got to make a few bad ones to 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 get the the gems out. Oh, for sure. Yeah, we must have learned a lot because they were very 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 bad. So. <laughs> Then we, after making a few shorts, we were like, okay, well, maybe we'll be, we'll be better at making features. So we decided we'd make a feature film um, right out of film school. Uh, and then we worked on the script for about a year and a half um, and worked on research and, and going to the community in, in Brixton um, and working with the guys there. Uh, uh, yeah, so then after, after, then, um, after that year of script development, we, uh, we went into pre-production. That's amazing because usually some, like sometimes... That was kind of going to be my next question was like how what was the from script to screen what was the process like because sometimes it can just take years so I think it's amazing that you guys were just like no we're doing it you know this is the the time frame and did COVID or anything like that like have any effect in that or was it done prior or yeah so I mean COVID didn't really have that much of an effect because it took so long so it, for, like we started on this in 2016 so right. we had shot it by the end of 2017 and then post took us almost a year to get everything sorted. 
And then uh, we were uh, submitting to festivals and um, trying to get distributors on board during the COVID period. So okay. it, it affect us. But it yeah. took ages. Like uh, we had so many no's until Slamdance said yes. Like it, it was so many no's. It was very demoralizing. And now, now look at this. <laughs> um, <laughs> but as I briefly mentioned at the beginning, like just some amazing performances in this film. So what was the what was the casting process like? Because I imagine you wanted to keep the the authenticity of Brixton and the talent that's in it and stuff. Yeah. So we actually had kind of a dual system um, for casting. So for a bunch of the roles, we had uh, our casting director, Lucy Rams, um, is one of the first people we got on board to get like a you know, proper professional casting director. And she found uh, a bunch of our cast. So for instance, that's where Ola came from. He plays Benji. That's where Leah um, Lily Newmark came from. And uh, that's obviously where um, uh, Tilda, um, which is Jamie Winston, where they all came from. And Michael Maloney amazing character actor and nicest man on the planet who plays uh, who plays Leah's dad as well um so that's where we got those actors and then a bunch of the other actors actually we knew from the uh from the estate from Summer Layton Estate in Brixton so we met um Dennis uh who's our exec producer who like helped get everyone on board from the estate he's kind of like a he's a big character there and everyone knows him so he was the first person we got into contact. You'll recognize Dennis if you see him because he plays one of the thugs from the uh, from the rival estate. Um, he had to step in last minute, in fact. Oh, wow. Our exec producer is acting the film. He a did a cameo it. in there. Yeah, very good. So, like he gave an incredible performance last minute. Um, so, so yeah, so Dennis and a bunch of the other guys from the estate, uh, some of them were really interested in acting. So for instance, uh, Dexter, who plays Darius, is from the estate. He's not a professional actor, um, or hopefully he will be very soon. Uh, Rose, who plays Benji's mother, is also from mm. Summer Estate. She's the matriarch of Summer Lane. She's beautiful, yeah. She is beautiful. And she's, yeah, she's just a great character all around. Um, yeah, and a bunch of the other characters as well. Um, uh, a lot of the supporting cast were, were from Summer Lane as well. So it was kind of half and half between experienced actors that we got through a casting agent or casting director, sorry. Um, and then the other half of the cast was, was cast from the estate. Amazing. And I think for, so for me, Lily Newmark, who plays Leah, um, so I, she, I find her so interesting because she kind of isn't your usual kind of stereotypical YouTuber or like vlogger in the sense of, you know, being super perky and peppy and chatty and that kind of stuff. She really is a filmmaker in mm. the sense of just documenting everything that happens around her and, mm probably actually her strongest creative skill would be editing in a way um but so what was it like kind of developing Leah was there kind of uh did she, did she do kind of a lot of her own research or was it kind of uh, she fleshed it out quite a bit yeah so <clears throat> Leah's character changed a lot actually from the initial script um until we shot so uh, and kind of came full circle a little bit so we spent a lot of time trying to develop what kind of uh, YouTuber or what kind of character Leah would be, what her motivations were for shooting this documentary. Um, and as time went on, we wanted to leave a little bit more ambiguity there because it was just more interesting. And after we cast Lily and she has such uh, like an interesting enigmatic kind of like expression, we wanted to, to put that into it. So um, I think a lot of Leah's character is was on what we left out rather than what we put in um, in order to leave a bit of intrigue and have it be like a little bit between 
uh, Rupert always described it as a fetish between a fetish and um, like a fascination or something that was more um, a defense mechanism to put the camera between her and the rest of the world. So that's that's what that's a lot of the stuff we talked to Lily about was um, what how she felt and what her psychology was going to be during the filming of this and, and she described it as dissociating a little bit as she, as it got throughout the throughout the film is that she wasn't really thinking about her actions because she was just slightly just dissociating from the whole experience yeah definitely and i think as well the way that you develop the characters and the story it leaves so much you kind of get snippets of loads of different things within their life that you could nearly do a whole other film you know on a, a, like a diving deeper into the characters but also it gives the audience which I really love it gives the audience then room or wiggle room to kind of make their own opinions or create their own maybe back uh, backstories or narratives for the for the characters um I loved the character Benji and uh, what a beautiful performance by um Allah is it I want to make sure I got that right um uh, there and there's a slight kind of touch of an underdog story there, which like who doesn't love that? And you kind of you really want Benji to succeed and thrive and break out of the path that so many of his family and friends go down. But I guess the, the struggles of that he comes up against with white privilege and you know like Leah's narrative and perception, um, and the divides caused by race and class and systems. Was that a story that you felt that was really important that you wanted to tell and kind of spur on conversations about? Like, I love going to a film and then like, you know, going for a pint after and just talking about it for ages, you know, and that this is a film that you can really do that a bit with. Yeah, I think that was something that we really like wanted to get across and we wanted to we wanted to try and portray it in a way where it wasn't necessarily giving any easy answers because there aren't any. So like there's with like with white privilege in particular like we were very aware that we were the people who started the film even though we got the the community involved we started the film as three white kids you know what i mean so like what like how is it our license to tell this story and we're like okay well now we have a responsibility now that we've started this ball rolling like to make sure that it's um done in collaboration with people from the community and that it that it rings true and that uh it's not creating a like a kind of a glossy, you know, um, action movie vibe or or anything or like that that we're sanding off the edges because that's one thing the guys from the estate said to us from very early on. They were like, "The stuff you have in here is a little soft. Like mm. this is not our our lives are, are a little bit, you know, have more uh, peril in it than this on a daily basis." And you're like, people will not believe it if it seems like you know, people from the estate are wandering around because then it, it makes it, it to portray life on a on a housing estate in 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 London like it's um like it's plain sailing all the time and like there aren't all these challenges of like um now the postcode wars is a big deal over there. Um it wasn't necessarily a few years ago actually that's relatively new. And um the fact that you might have people come in and exploit the community, all that kind of stuff like that. They have to deal with that all the time. And it makes life much more complicated and makes choices much more complicated. So for instance, Darius, um, he's involved in like in crime and in gangs. And some of the people we worked with had been, and they got out of it eventually, but they were like at the time, like you see, you know, you could go, you see someone uh, like getting turned down for a job at McDonald's one day. And then the next day, someone offers you 
like a job where you can actually start supporting yourself and mm. people really love. And it's like, it's not as simple because they can't walk into a, you know, they can't walk into one of Leah's internships in, uh, in these fancy media companies, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think the divide uh, between the, like uh, initially it was a lot about class um, that was in the first script. Uh, then a lot of the other elements came in as we developed the script. So some of the things that happened, so for instance, the relationship with the police was something that was based on a real um, a real relationship that the guys had with this one police officer. Um, so like, like this isn't a, an indictment of the police in any way in a general sense, but this guy was real. <laughs> this guy used to do things like that, like drive them to the rival estate in order to get information out of them. Um, like it was a very antagonistic relation on both on both sides so it's kind of personal you know yeah. and then have things like um you have the the cultural divide that is actually so incredibly um close like a, a proximity so you'd have like um in where the guys live in the barrier block in Brixton right across the road there's like a fancy ceviche restaurant that like only serves like minimum like 20 pound starters and, and it's right across the road because like that's what Bricks Brixton is a trendy area now for, mm. for people from Hampshire to move to. So like it's quite, yeah, it's, it, it, all those things were stuff we couldn't avoid because it's so endemic in the area and it's just part of these, the part of the lives of the people living there. So we, 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 it's it's got a lot of texture. Yeah. So I think that's why as well, then the character um, Archie is really important as well. Uh, I thought he was so fantastic. Um, Archie was played by Craig uh, Middlebrook. Um, and like that, so like Benji's white friend, but also is you kind of just don't see that after the first second of the film because they're basically just brothers. And I nearly would have loved to see more of him as well because he's such a burst of energy into the piece along with also being quite heartbreaking as well. Um, but I wanted to ask, there's a lot of scenes where they're kind of just hanging out or they're in Benji's house and it all, it just looks so comfortable. It actually feels quite, I know we're looking, sometimes we're looking through um, Leah's lens, but also as well as a general, it felt so comfortable and relaxed. So was that just a kind of a, a point to the camera and shoot and let them kind of do their thing? Or was it all scripted and marked out? And what was that kind of like? Well, it's a combination. Um, so I'm just trying to think of what we shot versus what actually ended up on screen uh, because we yeah, shot a, a, so like, a lot more of that stuff that we had to cut out. And some of that was just because we lost some connective tissue because, you know, we, we ran out of money and there were some scenes that we had to drop. But um. So yeah, so Archie and Benji at uh, the first the first day where Anna, Al and Craig, we, we asked them to go off and uh, kind of have lunch together and they started bonding on the very first day. They started chatting about their characters and working out um, like certain elements of backstory, you know, so the fact that Archie's uh, mom is a crackhead and like that he's kind of dealing with that and that's part of his backstory. That's something that, ben, that Ala and Craig worked out together. Um, there was more in there like so there was so there was more we'd love to put in but it just didn't fit in the movie so for instance craig in character as uh, as archie wrote a rap to impress darius so craig is a rapper like he's 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 a rapper and a producer and an actor and a magician like he's he's so like the character of archie only much smarter wow, yeah <laughs> so archie, not wow, very broad, amazing. But craig's a bit of a genius so he had he does all of these things so he was bringing them into the character and um there was just moments that we'd love to have put in, but they just like, it's just, you kind of start to uh, break the narrative arc a little bit to, to when, once you come out of that, 
So there was a scene that we shot that we couldn't fit into the film where he was selling uh, vitamin C to a bunch of people in the posh party um, and telling them it was E and they believed him because he was like, you know, from the, he was from the, the, the from ends, you know, and, um, and then, uh, yeah, so, so the, the, their relationship was like really real. They, they, they got on immediately, like really good bond and uh, the, the, like the rapport was amazing. But I think a lot of the, a lot of the, a lot of the scenes that they are there together, they're actually scripted. They just make it, they just make it so natural. And um, the one exception would be like when they're in the soup kitchen and they're hanging around there, that's entirely improvised, that whole scene. Um, and yeah, they did an amazing job. Absolutely. Their chemistry is just it was so great. I think it's a really, the, the film is, I found it such a, interesting take on identity um and especially at that age like when you're a teenager the stakes are just so high and everything is just feels so heightened um and it's clear from the get-go that Benji isn't your kind of stereotypical product of his environment um but that Leah is kind of hell-bent on presenting him as that is obviously quite is so frustrating as a viewer so there's kind of that anxiety just radiating kind of through the film and in, in this case, the stakes are do become really high because it does come down to their future in the world and kind of what path they go down. And I guess not wanting to give too much away, but like how slippery those slopes are. And, uh, and especially when you're so young and impressionable and, you know, you're really like Benji, really trying to go against the surroundings that he that he finds himself in. So I know you were saying there that you had people from the estate and the area and stuff like that. Did you have kind of many workshops or kind of chat to people that like would have gone down this way or, you know, if they made this decision, it could have ended up so different and, and all of that kind of stuff to really flesh out the, the film and the characters. Yeah. So um, a lot of a lot of stuff was was like, you know, kind of borrowed and adapted from life. So, for instance, um, Darius, who plays Dexter. Um, that a lot of his character is based on, um, uh, like the character existed beforehand, but then once we started talking to Dexter, um, it's st we started to mold it a little bit more around his experience. So he had been involved in crime when he was younger, and uh, you know he kind of got a lot of respect from the community from from being involved in crime and having gone to prison and having lived that life. Um, so now he uses that same, and there's a hint of it I think in Darius's character. He uses that that same clout uh as something to give him a legitimacy as a mentor so now he does lots of youth work and he he helps people in the community to to stay out of crime and to you know to to take you know like a, like maybe a more difficult but ultimately a better path mm -hmm. um so he's doing a load of that um right now he's actually writing i gotta give it a plug uh, uh Dar dexter is now writing um uh, a film himself uh, based um, a little bit around um, his story. So it's a little bit like Darius, but for copyright reasons, obviously, it's not Darius. It's of course. Out. Oh, that's so, so exciting. Dexter can remain the, the sole, the sole uh, proprietor, I guess, of, uh, of, the, of the IP. But um, yeah, so he's, he's writing that now based on his experience of how a youth worker helped convince him to, to like leave um to stop to get out of crime and to start uh, and to start a different path. So yeah. So we talked to him, um, like everyone on, on the estate has so many stories. Ola has loads of friends in his experience. So Ola lived a life very much like Benji's at the beginning of the film. So very, very protective mother, um, really straight laced, like lived his life very much um, in a, like a very focused um, way. 
where he was like, okay, well, you know, I'm not going to get distracted by any of these. And it was easy because he had such a great role model, role model in his mother. Mm. And well, a lot of his friends, for instance, took some, so took, uh, were either victims of crime or they were drawn into crime. He knows a lot, a lot of people who were in that kind of um, situation. Uh, so yeah, I mean, a lot of it is is, is from life. Um, so yeah. I think I did find it quite scary how at times, I, I it kind of goes back to Leah, as you were saying that she kind of found herself just being um, disconnected from what was happening, but how her character was so unaware of kind of what actions that may occur would affect Benji's life you know mm. and not necessarily hers and I guess that I did find that a really interesting take on class difference of just how sometimes it is that kind of ignorance is bliss or that doesn't affect me like at the brilliant scene where the two of them are in the playground and the the uh, two policemen come up and she kind of answers back because there just wouldn't be that thought of you know how bad the repercussions might be unlike Benji's um, so I thought that was really, really interesting. And I think it really provokes a kind of formidable education in media manipulation, which is so current at the moment as well. So was that a theme that you really wanted people to kind of take away from the film and, and think about like, you know, not everything we read is always exactly the facts or black and white or that kind of thing? Yeah, it's something we, we wanted from very early on is that there's a whole world outside of the frame that we're given when we see a story of any kind even if it's news um because we're used to in our in our part of the world we're used to fairly impartial news compared to some other places like compared to america say um but still like every story is one person's take on a story including our history books you know of course mm. so like our as irish people are our, our uh our understanding and what we've learned from uh, from the British Empire is very different than my friends who grew up in uh, and went to boarding schools, say here in in, in the UK. <laughs> um, so so that's it's very different. Um, but also, I think it's something that fascinates me as a slightly older person and the other lads because they're kind of luddites, like they're not really into the social media as much as most people that they're they're they, that would be in their twenties now. Um, is that you spend so much of your people uh, like now more than it never happened before but now people are growing up from a very young impressionable age of their development they're growing up seeing themselves on camera like reflected back it's like narcissists like completely manifested you know so just looking into your own reflection which is a curated reflection of yourself all the time and then seeing other people like that so you, you're like all your relationships and everything is mediated through what is effectively uh like um like a curated image it's the image rather than reality it plays a huge part of this in a huge part in social media interactions which are now replacing a lot of what would have you know traditionally been really like face-to-face -face social interactions yeah. so it's it, i think it the, the, you're always cutting out something everything's always edited in that case um and then i guess on a more maybe a little bit more um explicit example uh rupert saw a film when he was writing when we were developing the script he saw a, a documentary that was based on an estate and it was about people who were involved in like gangs and you know like crime and a bunch of people they got them to you know to kind of like uh to to express themselves and say everything like um sorry i'm, I'm fluffing my words here sorry um so in this documentary 
uh, they got uh, a bunch of the guys that were involved in gangs to uh, tell their story and talk about all of the like really salacious stuff that you know that they were doing that was really juicy I guess for a documentary then a bunch of those guys on the basis of that got caught and went to prison so it's like yeah <laughs> like oh my God. of these actions you know what I mean yeah. and, and I think that's something that Rupert was like once he'd seen this he's like oh I like this 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 has to be part of this film because I mean like the consequences for Lee are so different and you can completely ignore because all you're looking at is the screen all you're looking at is the depiction on the screen you're not thinking about what happens afterwards or before or around the edge of the frame yeah absolutely I think like I mean, I found it tough growing up anyway. So like you couldn't pay me to go back and do it again, especially now. I just think I, it's so tough for for teenagers and, and young people at the moment just with with social media and like as you said, just the pressures of it and the the depictions and the and and the narratives and all that kind of stuff for sure. So I think that it's also a really important film in that sense for young people to see as well of to to just be wary and like you know be aware of how easily these things can happen um and like that's a whole new thing now that that teenagers have to be aware of that you know we didn't even we had like the the uh i did have a i was one for a digital camera on a night out i have to say but oh, yeah. they never went anywhere do you know what I mean? no nowhere <laughs> no so no, I think that's it. I think that's a really interesting take on it. So you were saying there about that documentary that you saw. Did you guys, did you as a filmmaker, like what would be your kind of inspirations or like work that you want to make or, you know, like what kind of, what's the next kind of step for you? Yeah, well, I guess um, there's, I suppose to the, for the, to the first part are inspirations. Um, so like for this film, uh, a bunch of inspirations like played in now I'm not going to I'm not comparing us to any of these filmmakers <laughs> we're inspired by great filmmakers we're not saying we're as good we're just saying we were inspired by them so um there's like uh, a lot of um Christoph Kieslowski's movies like in Decalogue so there was a short film about love which is about a guy who's like spying on one of his neighbors across the road and the obsession that happens when he's he's spying between his apartment block and and, and this and this woman that he gets an infatuation from that was a big influence um, like uh, Lynn Ramsey movies that are so incredibly subjective and it's all like you feel like you're right inside someone's brain and someone's emotions in a, in a Lynn Ramsey movie and it, like it, it, a tiny action can seem like it's um, like just uh, going to make or break someone's world it's amazing love that um, also um, big fan of uh, my god my brain I'm forgetting names uh, Andrea Arnold, big fan of Andrea Arnold. Uh, like, you, you know, so uh, like Fish Tank, we watched a bunch of times before watching, not that like, like, this is very much like Fish Tank, but you know, we, we watched a lot of it. I watched um, uh, Celine Sciamma movies, like uh, Girlhood. Girlhood oh, yeah. Love that movie. So we kind of, the end of the film was kind of slightly robbed from a cross between Girlhood and what Richard did. So you have girl, a Girlhood, you have this one shot of like, of her face, and you can just say, like, I'm not going to give anything away in terms of plot, but you just see this one shot of her face and it says so much about what's mm. happened before and what's happening afterwards. And we kind of manipulated that in our version. Obviously, it's maybe a different tone <laughs> in terms of like, in terms of an upending or down ending. We'll leave it at that. And then uh, the end of what Richard did, which I like, and then when I showed Bert, because he was like from uh, Montreal and what Richard did came out when he was quite young in Montreal. So it was, he, he didn't see it at the time. Um, and it's this, uh, 
it leaves you with this question. So you're like, how do I feel about this? Like, I don't know whether I'm on his side or I don't know whether I'm disgusted by him. And I think that this is a huge injustice. And you're kind of like, you, it just makes you, it leaves a question. So that's what Lenny Abramson always does in his movies, right? Like he, he leaves them with a question rather than with a statement. And that's something that we really loved. And then in some of our um, aesthetic, aesthetically, a lot of the, the we, there's things we liked about, like David Fincher movies about the way he uses, and um, now it's a very different genre to, to a David Fincher movie, but the way he uses color in his films, you know, and the way he doesn't like to leave, um, he likes to have these really amber interiors. And we thought that that kind of, if we used something like that, it would have that feeling of, you know, when you're a kid and you're out on the road and like you're drinking with your friends when you're a teenager and you're under this orange sodium vapor light from the streetlights, and it's just this feeling like it's kind of like this heightened feeling where anything could happen and it's really spontaneous. And you're freezing. And you're freezing cold, yeah. but like emotionally, like it kind of, it's a little bit like you're on fire, right? It's like yeah. you're lit by firelight running around. So we wanted to bring that into the movie and then kind of take that into our interiors as well. Like that feeling of like this big amber light where everything's like you're, you're, you're in a fire and anything could happen, you know? Um, and then... Sorry to answer the second part of your question. Mm -hmm. I hope that's a bit long-winded. Apologies. No, not at all. I think everyone's <laughs> going to, everyone listening now, you need to go and check out all of those people for, to see the inspiration. Yeah. And there's, oh, there's dozens more as well that I can't go into because then the podcast would be too long. Um, <laughs> but um, so, yeah. So then what, what's next, right? So we have three of us working together um, on in various different ways. So in some cases, we're writing a script individually because we all write. So it's like, someone's writing a script individually and the other two between myself, Bertrand Dorache and, um, and Rupert Bainham. Uh, and then some of us were writing some films in pairs. So there's a lot of films. Going on. Basically the next film is going to be a little bit more genre based for all of us, a uh, little bit less of um, an element of, of social drama. Now, this obviously isn't social realism, but it's closer to it than maybe our next movie would be. Um, I want to write a drag queen revenge thriller. Uh, I'm very excited about this because I already have the characters in my head <laughs> and it will cost a fortune. So it might take a while. Um, and then uh, a few a few other things. We're writing a film about a, a kid in um, a boarding school in uh, in the UK, uh, like so very much like Hogwarts, which is kind of where Rupert went to school. And uh, he kills his bully and then he tries to get away with it. But at the same time, He's trying to, like in Crime and Punishment, <laughs> like Raskolnikov in Crime and Punishment, he's trying to deal with the existential crisis, even though he's 13, of like being a murderer and whether he can still be a good person. But meanwhile, no one in this school cares because they're trying to cover it up because they want to maintain their image. Oh and, my God, uh, that sounds fantastic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, so, so exciting that's really cool that you guys kind of you you have that you, like your crew now of like and you, you, I imagine you kind of shift between different roles and all that kind of stuff I think it's mm. it's it's so important especially creatively to like surround yourself by people who you have that shorthand with or you you know who think like you or 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 can challenge you and and that's great that you you guys have that now for sure. I mean, it's really important to be surround to round yourself with people who think it's realistic to make movies for a living. Like I didn't make I, I didn't I wanted to do this since I was a kid. And I spent 12, I think, years um, working in advertising, which was amazing until I got to that point. And then it was only during the course of that that I started meet, meeting people who were making movies like for real. And a bunch of them now who were making commercials with me at the time are like really, like really well-respected filmmakers now making incredible movies. So yeah. I was like, 
real. This can, this is real. This can happen. Absolutely. And then, that's why I went to film school. Was it wasn't because like for, um, you know, it was it, it was to learn a lot about screenwriting and everything as well. But it was mostly to to immerse myself in an environment where you meet people where you're like, oh, this is real. This this could actually happen. Hmm. Because as a creative, like working in a creative career, it can get very demoralizing when you're like, oh, maybe I should have gone into something a little bit more stable uh, why, why are we not accountants <laughs> exactly i was deliberately not saying accountants because yeah. i'm like we're accountants i don't want to get that i don't want to get them yet the i said it don't worry i said it's fine but accountants <laughs> yeah. accountants also need to watch films so you know oh and my friends do my, my accountants my accountant friends do watch movies so they're you know to be fair to be fair exactly we all we all have a role we all have a role but i do want to say dara congratulations on such a beautiful film and i really hope that everyone does go and see it and you know we're allowed to go back to the cinema now go and see it on the big screen if you can um i know you were saying earlier it's out in cinemas around the uk so definitely go and search it out and then also there will be a rare, an irish release so keep an eye on our social media platforms we'll uh, we'll plug it whenever that happens hopefully very soon and uh, and then also just keep up uh, to date with everything that's going on with it definitely do visit abrixontail.com and uh, we wish you all the best with the journey of a bricks and tail, but also your future successes, which sound amazing. I can't wait to have you back on to talk about your drag queens and your high school bullies, uh, or should I say bully murderers. And um, and have a great weekend. Thank you so much, Cher, for coming on to chat to me. Thank you, Neve. It's a pleasure. And that's it from me here today. Thank you so much for listening and thank you again to Dara for coming on to chat to me. Don't forget to follow us on social media, especially to keep up to date with all of the excitement around the festival. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and YouTube. And if you enjoy our podcast and everything else we have for you guys, definitely consider becoming a member to support us and to get free access to a lot of great films and to attend exciting events, especially for the upcoming festival. A final thank you to the Irish Emigrant Support Programme and Culture Ireland, who've been brilliant supporters of ours for years, Gurmila Mahaguth. The Irish Film London podcast is produced by me, Neve Brannigan, and our theme music is by Kevin MacLeod. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you very soon. Music